1: Welcome to the Perfume Room. My scent of the day today is a Lalabo City exclusive. If you have been a longtime listener of this pod, you know that that is a full circle moment. But today I am wearing Citrat 37. This was a fragrance that they gifted me. Um, They sent me a sample pack of five City exclusives, and this was one in the mix. It's a very nice, fizzy, sweet citrus scent, and it sort of feels like soapy and sudsy in texture. And then Citron, as a note, is a sort of citrus that feels more zingy than bergamot, but more round and warm than lemon. It's sort of an in-between of the two and warmer and rounder than either. And there's almost something to it that to me at least feels like a sort of subtle dried leafiness. Like I feel like citron is a very autumnal smelling citrus. So imagine a bar of lemon soap, add a little bit more bergamot, add a little bit more warmth, and that is what sidrat 37 kind of smells and feels like. But stay tuned because I do plan to share my updated thoughts on all of the Lelabo Labo City exclusives in an upcoming solo episode. I can't remember if I did this last year around this time. I feel like I did. But you know what? It's been a year. My thoughts have changed. More to come. Let's get to our guest today, because we are joined by the wonderful Barbara Herman. Barbara is the founder of Eris Parfum. She is the author of Sentence Subversion, Decoding a Century of Provocative Perfume, and she is the blogger behind the very popular 2010s vintage perfume blog, Yesterday's Perfume. Eris Parfum is a niche fragrance brand that celebrates unconventional beauty, subversive glamour, and brings a sort of boldness to modern niche perfumery reminiscent to what Barbara encountered in all of her vintage perfume discoveries. Now, though Barbara declines to identify as a fragrance historian per se or a vintage expert, she also recognizes that in many ways she is the keeper of our collective knowing of vintage fragrances, having been one of the very few people to smell original formulations of some of the most iconic fragrances from the last hundred plus years. Today, we chat about everything from the difference in smell between real animalics versus synthetic ones, Barbara reflects on each decade of the 20th century and what sort of shaped perfume trends of each, which, by the way, is largely what her book, Scent and Subversion, is all about, and of course, she takes us through each scent in the Heiress Parfum collection, including the very exciting, guavalicious newness that is... Delta of Venus. And stay tuned till the end because we do discuss a very exciting upcoming episode that Barbara and I plan to record together on a later date. It is my pleasure to bring you Barbara Herman. Barbara, welcome to the Perfume
0: Room. How are you doing today? It's very hot in New York, as you know, know, but um, it's nice and cool in here and it's lovely to meet you and to be on the show.
1: You are our first ever video guest, This awesome. is an exciting day. So happy to be doing it with you. Thank you. I always start the podcast with the following question, which is, what are you wearing
0: today? Um, you know, I tell people this and they don't believe me, but I usually don't wear perfume. Okay. But in the past few weeks since Delta of Venus launched, yes. I have been wearing it every day because it's hot outside. Yes. It's juicy and fresh. And um, that's what I've been wearing.
1: I'm also wearing Delta of Venus. Um, so good for this hot weather. It just it's such a good, juicy guava. We yeah. are going to get into it. Great. And I'm curious, like, looking at your line, Eris, which we will get into as well later, mm-hmm. Delta of Venus seems like an interesting departure. Hmm. Would you say you have, a, like, a sort of scent profile that you tend to gravitate towards?
0: Yeah. Um, no, I don't. I mean, in the things that I like to wear, it. I think the sort of common denominator is that they tend to be intense mm-hmm. and um, extreme versions of whatever the category is. So um, I knew that, OK, I have seven cents. Um, I was excited to do the seventh one, which was the green one, which I think was sort of for a lot of people that felt like the departure. OK. Um, I so love
1: green spells so, so much. <laughs> so, so
0: much. So I would have to like read. Well, it feels like a departure, but, you know, in terms of that intense, overdosed signature, it's mm. actually kind of in keeping with everything. Okay. Um, and so I knew that a fruit was missing, and I do love lots of fruit um, fragrances, but not so much the sort of um, candied or gourmand or teenagerish mm-hmm. sort of fruit um, uh, perfume. So I wanted to have, like, a very carnal one. And so that's where all the stories about you know, the Garden of Eden and forbidden fruit, which, you know, was a sort of trope in um, perfumery. It's not like Eris did it for the first time. But I kind of wanted to go back to that idea of fruit sort of being slightly dangerous and, um, you know, forbidden.
1: Yeah. I'm interested to know, like, what about guava specifically did you associate with that idea of like forbidden fruit?
0: Well, you know, this is a sort of good entryway into sort of explaining how any of these fragrances happen. It's just this kind of um, barrage of visual narrative um, ingredient stories that just kind of rattle around in my head and then all kind of coalesce mm-hmm. so it's not linear um you know i love uh calyx from the 90s which yeah. with guava and grapefruit so that was definitely like in my mind i loved colony not so much the idea or the name but that idea of like pineapple and like leather so um those were sort of the fruity fragrances that i was thinking of um And I just was, I had been smelling a lot of tropical perfumes, but wasn't finding that like guava-licious kind of sweet spot. Yeah. Um, And I knew that Antoine could do a guava fragrance. So I asked him like, you know, do you have those machines that analyze, you know, ingredients and then sort of spit out a formula? And he was like, no, I'll just, I'll just smell it and like construct the guava for you. And he had never smelled a guava before. Really? A fresh guava. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I mean, he's this Parisian guy, grew up in Strasbourg, I mean, very cosmopolitan. But right. I think unless you're traveling around the world, uh, yeah. you know, to tropical lo- locations, maybe guava is not something that you've had. But I you know, was born in Southeast Asia, mm. grew up, you know, in places where fresh guava was available. So I love the taste. I love the smell. So um, I found a shipper in France that you know, shipped, like, tropical fruits and had them delivered to his Parisian apartment. And he studied them and created this gorgeous accord and then added, like, little facets of other tropical ingredients to it. Did
1: you have some sort of, um, like, Zoom call at, like, the first moment that he smelled it or took a bite of it?
0: Um. I mean, yes, I did. I asked him, well, what do you think? And he's like, very interesting. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be this intense or kind of funky. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, he's he's very kind of almost neutral in his response to anything that's even crazy like I actually years ago had introduced him to durian fruit and this was before I was like kind of practical about perfume and I thought oh I bet if anyone could create a durian scent it would be Antoine and so this is when he was still in New York at Mm -hmm. uh, Takasago and I was working also um, like in Midtown and I ran down on my lunch break to Chinatown, mm-hmm. got the stinkiest durian fruit, which is the Malaysian version, Okay, brought it back to him to Takasaga. We went into this little room and I still have a video somewhere of him eating it for the first time, smelling it for the first time. And he did some experiments with it, but um, he was just like, this is not going to work. And it's I like, think he know, also yeah. dropped a beaker in the lab and his colleagues were not very happy about that so he was like let's abandon this Barbara I don't think we can do this.
1: I think if you drop a beaker and it irritates your colleagues to an extent that they say something is probably not the hero yeah. note of the fragrance yes, exactly. right? Okay interesting. interesting
0: interesting but yeah so this this tropical kind of funky complicated yeah. complex fruit um, has been something I wanted to do for a while and just finally seized upon it.
1: So I'm getting really ahead of the order in which I wanted to ask this. But yeah. I do know you are an absolute vintage expert, lover, and you mentioned Calyx. Are the fragrances in Eris, like, is there sort of like a reference fragrance behind each one of like, this is the vintage one that it, that is
0: I mean, there kind of always is a reference, but it's less that I bring it to Antoine and say, create something like this. It's right. more like it's one among those sort of things that I throw at him, the images, the stories, the name, the ingredients, the vintage version I like, the contemporary versions that, you know, I think he could improve upon or something like that. So there's always a bunch of things. Mm -hmm. But um, I try to remind people that Eris is not of, it's it's vintage inspired in so far as like that's kind of how I really became obsessed that's with right. perfume that's your lens and your taste yeah, right yeah but it's more um the sort of boldness of vintage uh perfumes it's the ethos of like you know one creative director one perfumer not a lot of marketing people in between mm-hmm. um so that's that's really more. But the the first three definitely were vintage inspired. Mm-hmm. I, you know I mean you yes, were just talking, talking about, about Mabette, Mabet, yeah. Which
1: for people listening, this is just my interpretation. So you could tell yeah. me if you agree or disagree. No. But I smelled it and immediately I thought of two perfumes that I had known from my childhood, yeah. which were Aramis and Paloma Picasso, mm-hmm. of that sort of like animalic but aldehydic yeah. and floral combination. Yeah. And it just it moved me to tears because it just made me think I could just visualize my grandmother and her boyfriend mm-hmm. sitting on the couch. He's smelling like Aramis and her yeah, smelling that like is Picasso.
0: definitely the most explicitly vintage inspired. And there's this amazing perfume writer, um, Denise Beaulieu. And I always mention this um, when people talk about Mabette. She had the most gorgeous way of describing it. She said that it was like an olfactory seance.
1: Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah. Because it does. It brings back from memories. From the corner oh. of your
0: eye or nose, you'll see this reference, that reference. But it it's never just like it's one new. thing. Yeah. But you do see the ghost of a thousand perfumes.
1: The ghost of a thousand perfumes. I love that. Okay. Yeah. Well, before we get more into all of this, the third question <laughs> that I always ask up top is, do you have a fragrance controversial opinion or hot take that people might not necessarily agree with you on?
0: Um. I have a feeling most people will agree with me, but uh, it's ironic for me to be saying this, but I think there are too many perfumes. Okay. Too many releases, too many brands. Um, It's a glut, and I totally, you know, am contributing to that, so I would just say that that's probably
1: it. There there are so many. I mean, even just like looking at the way that one can sort of go through vintage fragrances, it's like... Not three thousand releases no. a year. Oh you no, know, the because, canon is smaller.
0: Well, and and that's the thing is that it was sort of this rarefied um, space that mm-hmm. only certain people could get into. Mm-hmm. And so I think that definitely we're in a better world. I mean, I I I think it's amazing that I can do this as somebody who really is not part of the industry. Mm-hmm. It really came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's you know, there's good and bad to it. I think.
1: Yeah. Well, you mentioned you weren't part of the industry. You came out of nowhere. You've been doing this for a long time. You you authored a book, Sentence Subversion. You had a longtime fragrance blog. When did your love of perfume first begin?
0: I mean, I think not consciously, but I've always loved perfume. And I grew up in a family of, you know, the, the women in my life definitely wore grand, dumb perfumes, you know, like my mother was she also wore Paloma Picasso. She wore Charlie, the mm-hmm. sheep fragrance, in the '70s. She wore Diva. She wore—I mean, she's just worn and found by Rochas. Mm. So she's worn, you know, like those sexy lady fragrances or sort of or Yeah. And my grandmother wore um, Nina Ricci, um, L'Air du Temps. Mm. So you know, these very romantic kind of um, you know substantial perfume. So I grew up you know, smelling women wearing these amazing fragrances. But I would say that when I look back, um, it was in probably Texas as a tween, when I would get, you know, dropped off at the mall, I would, you know, just run running through the mall, I would go crazy at the perfume counter. I get it. And I would go through all of the women's perfumes, and then I'd go through all of the men's perfumes, and I still sort of am the same way. I spray it on my skin. I never use the blotters. And so by the time my mother would pick me up, mm-hmm. I she would have to roll the windows down. She'd get a headache because I literally had, like, every perfume in the mall on me. And oh, my gosh. This was in the 80s, so you okay. can imagine – these were not like transparent. Right. right. <laughs> These were like intensely strong fragrances. So I'd say it was around then where it, 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 I look back and I realize like not everybody did that. Mm-hmm. They might try one perfume, but I was like head to toe every fragrance and really liked perfume. And actually, I was looking at um, my high school yearbook like a few years ago. And, you know, we would do this thing where everybody in the, in my class would say something about their, um, you know, fellow students. And I didn't, I totally did not remember doing this, but they're like, puts on lipstick in class, sprays perfume on in class. And I was like, I did. I didn't know I did that. It's meant to be. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess, yeah, that's always kind of been my thing. But I got, I really got into perfume and wanted to write about it around 2007, 2008, when Mm -hmm. blogs started like popping up and, um, people writing books about perfume. And it was around then that I was like, oh, you can actually do that.
1: Right. This could be a thing. Yeah. I think there's something really interesting. I'm sure you have an opinion about this topic, but there's such a thing that I see on social media right now that irritates me where people call fragrances old lady perfumes Mm -hmm. or grandma perfumes. And it's usually to denote that this fragrance smells like like old and dated and like not sexy and that they're looking for something super sexy. And I think yeah. the irony yeah. is that so many of the fragrances that you're talking about that your mother wore, that your yeah. grandmother wore, they are stinky. They yeah. are sexy. They yeah. are feral. What are your thoughts when, when you hear sort of that phrase grandma perfume?
0: Well, the first thought I have is that it's misogynistic Yes. because it'd be one thing if it's like, oh, this is just an old person's perfume. Right. why women? Why right. grandmother? Right, like I would, you know, so at least if then I could counter it with, oh, well, maybe you're not used to the aldehydes or, oh, there's something powdery about it that makes you think that it smells old mm-hmm. or maybe some animalic base or something like that. But when they go there, you know, and say that it's an old lady fragrance, it's... Yeah, it's clear that um, that becomes something negative, you Mm -hmm. know? And Mm -hmm. I think it's wrong on all counts, I guess, is my. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I've been like thinking about. So my grandmother was a big Giorgio wearer. And oh my gosh. When you look at like the marketing of Giorgio and all that it stands for, it's like <laughs> thinking about my grandmother as I know her, and then thinking about like the marketing that worked on her, and it's so funny because yeah. people are, people associate Giorgio just by virtue of when it came out yes. with older women because it came out what in like the early '80s, late '70s. I mean,
0: she she's still wearing it. Well, she
1: she, she passed away, but. Okay. But it's just funny watching the marketing and being like, that is what, like, this yeah. woman that I see is like my nurturing grandmother. Yeah. is like, I'm getting that,
0: you know? It's, um, I believe that Giorgio, see, I'm, you know, I'm a little older than you. So that's actually a fragrance that came out when I was. That like, was your mall fragrance
1: when you were. One of
0: them. But I, it's the one fragrance that I just cannot, it's too much. That's the one. But it was in all of those strips. It was right. the first, I think, magazine strip fragrance. So everywhere you would go, you would smell it. And so people are like, oh, what's this? And they put it on and I can actually still smell it. Like it, I can smell what it smelled like in the magazine. What does, what does it smell like to you? It smells like Texas. Like it Texas. It smells okay. big. It smells glamorous, but a little bit over the top, big shoulder pads, lots of makeup. I mean, it's not Bad, it's just not me, yeah, and it's very fruity. Sorry, (laughs) hey, you know what? Sorry, grandma. Sorry, grandma. I love you (laughs) anyway. When did
1: your love of fragrance turn into vintage fragrances specifically?
0: Um, I you know, it was reading these perfume blogs and books where people would describe these scents and make it sound like you know, there was something in those ingredients that aren't in the fragrances now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're so good. And, you know, these descriptions were so vivid. And I was like, I want to smell these things. Right. And it was particularly the animalic notes. So this is around the time that it was, like, easy to, I mean, still is easy to order stuff online. And so I would just start ordering um, on eBay. And there are all these decant sites that also still exist, like the perfumed court. Mm-hmm. And um, that's actually really where I started, I think, was the perfumed cord I and then when um the samples became to me like not enough that's when i it's like it's like a drug addiction like that's that when was I graduated when? Yeah. to ebay and the full bottles or the minis and then the full bottles and then the sniping you know for the rare bottles but yeah it, it started it started little and then it got like a little bit out of hand
1: And have you been burned at all just by, like, going through eBay? Like, have you ever ordered something and you're like, this has gone completely bad or this is not authentic
0: or anything Um, like that? You know, surprisingly, only once. Hmm. Um, And as soon as I told the person, you know, I know that what is in this bottle is not the perfume. They refunded it to me. But largely, I mean – and. You know, I mentioned this in the book that it's kind of like old art, you know, mm-hmm. just because you see a Rembrandt that's a little bit faded or, you know, there's a corner that's torn off and like the paint has fallen off the canvas, you still get a sense of it. Right. And that's right. how I feel with certain perfumes where clearly the top notes are, you know, have gone. Mm-hmm. But then once it settles down, you really get a sense of this fragrance, you know, yeah. and the impact of it.
1: So do you have a designated area in your apartment where you display or store everything?
0: Um, I did, but as you know, it's, you know, in New York, yes. I have a I have a one bedroom and it just, you know, now that I also have a perfume line and I have a lot of components and things and boxes and I, half of my apartment is like storage for yeah. the brand. And so I just really don't have enough space for the vintage fragrances. So I just kind of have them in boxes and storage. Wow. I mean, it's kind of climate controlled, but um, I'm not sure how how much they're going to be able to hold up. I wish I had like, you know, fancy refrigerator for all of them. But um,
1: you know, in New York City, it's honestly, it's too much to ask. Like yeah. you can't, you can't have your cake and eat it yeah. too here. It's like, do you have a an apartment, yeah, or do, do you, you
0: live in your apartment, yeah. or do you just co exist, <laughs> or do you just sit up, <laughs> yeah, exactly? Um, but when I started collecting fragrances in San Francisco, mm-hmm. um, I had a crisper that was just for them.
1: You put them in your refrigerator, I would put, put okay. them in
0: my refrigerator because I was just like, I want to keep all the... and then. You know, it it became impractical to do that because I didn't have space. I ran For out food. of space in my refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then everything started tasting like a vintage perfume. Oh, like my God. My butter tasted like a sheep. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So I've had adventures in wow. trying to store this stuff.
1: It also must be fun when you have guests over and you're like, oh, just take if You want anything in my fridge? And they're like, I'm not eating I know. Uh, <laughs> like femme.
0: Um, my, 1940s perfume.
1: Right. Okay. So. How did you go from sort of collecting to writing your book, Sentence mm-hmm. Aversion?
0: Yeah, so I really started the blog just because um, I wanted a place to keep my thoughts because I was starting to have a lot of thoughts mm-hmm. about these fragrances, especially the more I collected and the more I started comparing like one, you know, fragrance from the 60s with a fragrance from the 20s. and. Um I just wanted a place to write about it and then you know after a while I was like okay I see a thesis forming here that it's not going to be contained in this blog I really want to write a book about this mm-hmm. you know I was probably having like a midlife crisis I didn't want to um live in San Francisco anymore I didn't want to work where I was working anymore so I decided I was going to go big and quit my job, moved to New Orleans because I decided that's where I needed to write this book.
1: Okay. Um, Why New Orleans, out of curiosity? I've always loved
0: New Orleans. I'd always wanted to live in New Orleans, and it felt like a suitably decadent yeah, sensual kind that's of That's where you write a
1: book about vintage perfume. Right, and yeah. impra-
0: something impractical about the whole thing, yeah. impractical and yet necessary. Yes. Yeah. Um, So that's what I did. Uh, Just kind of sold everything, moved to New Orleans, um, took all my perfume with me. I actually got a job at a niche um, perfume store there, and I wrote half of, you know, significant part of my book there. Um, Took a while to find a publisher and an an agent and a publisher because they're like vintage perfume, what you know. Mm -hmm. Um, But I finally did, and um, around that time was also when I started collecting. Vintage ads as well. And so right. it was really nice to have ads kind of act as the movie posters to the perfumes. Hmm.
1: Is there anything that you are seeing trending today that people might be like, oh, "This is a brand new thing." That with all of your knowledge, you're like, "No, no, no! This is
0: something from the 1930s." I feel like there's so many different trends because it's such a fragmented right. perfume world. That right. unlike you know in the past, like really with anything, movies, perfume, fashion, where there was sort of one channel where you would find out what's going on, right? Because of you know the it's internet, like the Netflix and of perfume, media yeah, and TikTok, and all of that. Um, there's the clean trend, there's the minimalism and layering trend, mm-hmm. there's the beast mode trend, there's, you know, um, the only synthetic molecules trend, mm-hmm. there's the artisanal, you know, self-taught perfume. It's just like there's so many different categories right. of perfume that it's hard to say that there's one trend. Mm-hmm. But within that, this idea of a kind of minimalism, I think, actually just goes back to the 90s. And I I just think that with perfume and fashion, we just do keep going back. It might not be the same sort of iteration, Mm -hmm. but if you go big in one decade or one era, you're going to want to scale down. And so now I feel like this whole clean thing is a way of reacting, I don't know, to excess or... Mm -hmm. I mean, in in the book, I talk about how the '90s, you know, minimalism was a reaction aesthetically to the '80s, also to this kind of germophobia in a way, um, the AIDS crisis, and all of that. So, um, and also, you know, a kind of disembodiment that came along with the internet age. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's overdetermined. There's never just like one reason. And right. so I'm not really entirely sure. I haven't thought about it, like why this clean trend yeah. is coming up. I guess it's in part because of makeup too, but it's also like just fears that the world has just become poison and Absolutely. perfume is a part of that poison. And so I want to know everything in the way that I want to know everything that's in my food, which makes sense. Right. You know, there's this overcorrection with perfume. And yeah. I think there's also a lot of misinformation about I agree. what a clean perfume is, and that I don't even like hard.
1: the word clean because yeah. what does it imply that if it's not clean that it must be dirty? And I just yeah. think that that's such a disservice to yeah. to perfume.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of misinformation around it, but um, that's an example of a trend that I think yeah. you can kind of connect a little bit to the '90s trend of minimalism, um, the whole oud thing you know, kind of goes back to the shift from, um, you know, fragrances that were delicate and floral to more animalic. So right. even though oud is not, like, of animal origin, it has that kind of depth. It has that same yes, to it. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. So I think this kind of aesthetic cyclical thing, it just it happens in different versions.
1: Mm. Yeah. If we look back at the 20th century, are there trends from different decades that you feel sort of reflect
0: what was going on culturally? For sure. I mean, like, probably the most explicit ones were in the 40s, for example, the fragrance, a lot of fragrances by Germaine Cellier, for mm-hmm. example, were very bold. And um, there were fragrances for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that was about, like, uh, women entering the workforce mm-hmm. after World War II and this kind of almost confusion about what um, women's roles were. Like, are they, you know, feminine and seductive? Or are they, you know, these like tough ladies going, right. going to work? And so you see this sort of reflection in a lot of her fragrances of that dichotomy, mm-hmm. I guess. And, um, you know, in the 50s, like this idea of femininity that um, kind of, you know, the good girl, bad girl split, you really smell and perfume, um, in the 20s and 30s, the site, you know, sort of obsession with um, the Orient and exotic cultures and, you know, Shalimar and all of that sort of mm-hmm. Orientalism, which right. a lot of people are critiquing now. That was a whole marketing thing yeah. in the 20s. And so you smell colonialism mm-hmm. in in those fragrances, you right. know. Um, and then, like I said, like with the 80s and everything's big and big shoulder pads and big perfumes and like like everything was big, right. including the fragrances and then the scaled down 90s. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's what I like when I describe writing the book. I, I realize now that it's really it was like sniffing my way through the 20th century right. and examining, you know in the best way that I could, like, what felt like sort of the general outline of that decade.
1: Well, you have fragrances from all of these decades. What are some of the gems of your personal collection, or what are some of the fragrances that you wish you could smell again for the first time just to have that experience?
0: hmm I would say any of the um, the anima- truly animalic fragrances. And I always have to say, you know, this caveat that, like, I don't want to bring, like, authentic civet back into perfume or deer musk or any of that. But the fact is, is those fragrances that had those ingredients are mm-hmm. intoxicating.
1: How would you compare it to sort of those synthetic animalic notes? Oh,
0: it's just the difference between... I guess the best way to describe it is the difference between watching like an analog film mm-hmm. or looking at a film photograph yeah. or um, you know digital mm. like you're still gonna get the impression of it but there's something visceral about smelling those fragrances with the animalic um, with the animalic notes So I would say smelling like real like authentic like jiki or mm-hmm. um, some of the Robert Piguet fragrances from mm-hmm. the 50s. Like, those were just like stopped me in my tracks.
1: I, mean, I haven't smelled any of the originals. I've yeah. only smelled like the reproduction. So, listening to you talk about this is just like it's inspiring yeah, there, to, to it's, hear.
0: It's a very bodily reaction. Bodily reaction. Bodily, but also like your lizard brain gets kind of stimulated. It's just, it's hard to describe, but it's mm. intense.
1: Okay. I, I'm i personally trying to get into vintage more. So I was reading your whole blog today and I was just like, oh, and I've like bookmarked all these. I have a list of fragrances I want to try and yeah. I've just added more and more and
0: more. So it's it's And really just exciting. to kind of go back to that, like earlier when you were saying that I was like a vintage historian or an expert, I've really, I think over the years, I mean, I wrote that book in I think 2011, mm-hmm. 2012. I push back against that now because I feel more like – that was a record of me learning about perfume. Okay. And, you know, I did learn yeah. a lot, and I hope that I imparted a lot. But that was sort of like, you know, in, in Buddhism, there's this idea of a beginner's mind. That mm. was my beginner's nose. Interesting. You, When you're reading that blog and when you read the book, this is me like, I'm in, like, You're involved. in it. I'm yeah. so in love with perfume. I'm just learning about it. I want to tell everybody about it. Um, And so there are lots of, like, historical things that I don't remember or, you know, I don't have, like, all of the the facts. And so I want to be careful. Like, I'm sure there are historians who are like, she's not a historian. Mm -hmm. And I kind of agree with them. Okay. But... I did learn a lot about it, and um, compared to the
1: average person, yes, <laughs> your knowledge is unparalleled. Compared to someone who is maybe like a literal historian, yes. maybe it's a, there's yes. a description. But I
0: did smell a lot of these fragrances too, so I would say that there are very few people in the world who have smelled that many.
1: Right. Reviews. I mean, you've had access to things that people can only really read about, and you are one of the few people that's truly yeah experienced. I mean, there,
0: there. Trust me. I mean, you. You're on Instagram. You see these vintage collectors. There are a lot of, I, yeah. you know, there are some people who have a lot of stuff. But it's not everyone that right. has smelled like fragrances from the teens, 20s, 30s, you know, like all, right. all the way through.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I I, I love the through line of being able to, to experience that. And I'm curious how all of those roads led to Eris.
0: Yeah. So, you know, this was, everything was organic. I just really fell into all of this because I'm really like a writer and I, I haven't written in so long because I'm just like in the perfume thing now. I guess I write the the press releases, the florid uh, purple prose pr- uh, press releases. But um, so in Sentence Aversion, um, you know, I break down the decades and like analyze these fragrances, but then at the the last chapter was uh, what I I think I described it as the scent visionaries. So I interviewed people who I thought were moving perfume into the future, mm-hmm. and one of them was Antoine Lee because I was like super intrigued by um, his fragrances for Etat Livre d'Orange, particularly Secession mm-hmm. Magnifique, mm-hmm. um, and I just thought it was such a crazy and brilliant perfume brief. That Mm -hmm. was like Etienne de Schwartz, like perfume brief. So I'm going to give him credit for that. But then Antoine's translation of that brief into perfume notes. And I wanted to talk to the maniac who translated that into the perfume. Mm -hmm. I say that like, you know, um, with adoration, because I really do adore him. But um, so I, I I found out his email asked him if I could interview him about that fragrance and the, there's a like whole section in the book that is him talking about how he conceptualized that into ingredients um, and that's how I got connected with him and then um, you know it's kind of like okay I'm done with my book um, can't seem to find a job in New Orleans I think I'll probably have to move back to New York you know I'll start writing again but maybe I should start a perfume brand.
1: The the moment was right.
0: (laughs) It's like, you know, extremes from one extreme to the next. And I asked him, like, if I had a sort of vintage-inspired perfume brand or that, you know, that would be sort of the opening gambit, would you be interested in helping me do this? And he said yes.
1: Wow.
0: So, um, you know, there were other perfumers that I talked to, but – The thing that was difficult is that they didn't have the agreement that Antoine had with his big perfume house. He's independent now, but Mm -hmm. at the time um, he was working for a perfume house that let him kind of like work with indie brands as long as he also took on the big brands that they wanted him to work on. So he kind of had carte blanche to work with anybody. That's great. Yeah.
1: I'm curious, as someone who has experienced so many Seminal fluid, seminal (laughs) fragrances based on seminal fluids. How does Secretion Magnifique compare to some of these really like body scent fragrances that maybe only you have smelled compared to most perfume people?
0: Well, um, the way I described it in the book was that I said that it was the first um, kind of postmodern version of an animalic fragrance. Like if an an animalic fragrance was erotica, this was the first porno.
1: Wow. I need to take a second to digest that. <laughs> because
0: uh, those animalic fragrances were so suggestive, they right. were subliminal, they were unconscious. Like, you know, you could smell them and you're like, hmm, right. something, something's going on. But that but unless you were like a perfume nerd and were like, oh, there's Siva and there's castro, you know, right. like you wouldn't know. It would just have that effect. But with C'est Magnifique, I mean, the perfume brief was that this perfume is supposed to smell like bodily fluids before you have an orgasm. Okay. So...
1: I didn't know that brief, by the way. So yes. that's actually... I love hearing yeah. so, this So C'est
0: Magnifique it. is supposed to smell like saliva, tears, adrenaline, um, semen. And I mean, I'm sure there's something else that I'm missing. But um, the thing that I like, you know, and I discovered this talking to Antoine is... He was worried it was too masculine mm-hmm. and he was like, I, he wanted to create something that was gender fluid, mm-hmm. so to speak. And so he- Gender
1: fluid. It is gender fluid yeah, for sure. So
0: he, inc- he included some sort of references to the female body as well. Okay. So um, yeah, so that's, that is the answer is that uh, it's sort of the body turned inside out in a way and mm-hmm. pornographic.
1: Yeah, I love that analogy of erotica to porno or like the sillage of sex to like the act of sex, right? Like the, it's so interesting. Hello listeners, I'm interrupting this episode to bring you a special, exciting, life-changing announcement, which is the theme for August Smell Club. Are you ready? I mean, if you follow me on Instagram, you already know, but the theme for August Smell Club is one of my favorite floral notes ever. We are going to be spotlighting tuberose. We will be smelling five glorious tuberose scents, all representing the myriad ways that tuberose shows up in perfumery. And if you have never participated in Smell Club, to that I ask, why the heck not? Smell Club is a fragrance community. It is us. It is fragrance lovers. It is listeners of this podcast. It's amazing, cool, fun, smart, kind people, all united by our love of you guessed it, perfume. Every month, I curate a new theme. Sometimes I spotlight a note, or a genre of fragrance, or a perfumer, or even a brand. And I curate a sample. Pack with five perfumes that showcase the range of said theme. You order the pack, you sign up for a session, and we meet virtually and smell through the pack. We hang, we discuss, we live, laugh, love, learn. Tuberos packs and tickets should hopefully be on sale this week, and I always give prior Smell Club members, as well as anyone on my mailing list, early access. So if you would like to be added to that mailing list, just message me your email address on Instagram at perfumeroompod.com. I am so excited. Let's get back to Barbara. So tell me and tell everyone listening about Eris, the line and the collection and yeah.
0: So um, the name Eris comes from the Greek goddess of troublemaking, chaos, strife, war, um, and like Eve, mm-hmm. as this goes back to the um, Delta of Venus fragrance, Shh. I think that Eris was framed in the sense that she's blamed for the Trojan War, starting the Trojan War, when really if you, like, dig into her story, she wanted to be invited to a wedding on Mount Olympus, and she wasn't. So she crashed the party, mm-hmm. and then she threw her golden apple of discord, and it, like, created, you know, all this drama, and that led to the Trojan War. But really more of, like, a mischief-making party-crashing goddess. right. Um, that was my rebranding of ERA. So that's the name, and so all of the fragrances in the line, I wanted it to have like this, the you know this kind of vintage-inspired boldness, an overdosed signature, like whatever the category is, I wanted it to be extreme. So the first three fragrances were um, floral animalics. Mm-hmm. And there was just going to be one, but, you know, when you first start working with a perfumer, like, it's so exciting because they're giving you all these different mods or modifications. And until you get the discipline or the, like, experience to realize you can't have them all, (laughs) that you actually need to figure out what you want. And steer them towards it. I wasn't quite there yet at the beginning. I was just more like, oh my God, Antoine Lee's making these incredible fragrances. What a and moment. I had yeah. a really hard time picking. So um we ended up doing a trio of animalic um florals. And so
1: I'm sure you still narrowed it down. There probably were a lot more. Oh mods. for sure. Yes, so there they you go. You did consolidate. There
0: were, but that's yeah, I'm a great little great job.
1: Bit, I think you've consolidated <laughs> as much as you did. I'm a
0: little bit better about it now, but um, so the trio I put under the category of like Beauty and the Beast. So each one has a contrast between the floral and the animalic. Mm. And they're not explicitly always animalic. Like in some of them, Antoine had like an interesting interpretation of what animalic was. So in the way that he did with Sacacio Clas- Magnifique. So, for example, with Belle du Jour, which I consider sort of the lightest fragrance, um, it has orange flower, it has uh, pimento berry, it has seaweed absolute, mm-hmm. and then a little bit of musk and incense. So it's kind of almost like a bodily, sweaty, like salty ocean, oceanic kind of um, Okay. Quality to it. So that's one. And uh, Nightflower has like leather and musk. And that is sort of like a shalimar esque.
1: When I smelled it, I was like, I feel like I know who yeah. this is inside. It's a
0: shalimar yeah. esque fragrance. And then Mabette um, is the most extreme one. That's the one that has his overdosed cocktail of, you know, kind of an animalis base. Um, but there's a lot in there that I'm not even sure what's in there entirely. Mm. Um, and that's the one that references so many different different ones.
1: That's the one that brought tears to my eyes yeah. when I put it on because it's just, oh, I love it so much. So, okay. So, so that's the, v- the
0: first trio. Okay. And you know, because I was like, oh yeah, it's vintage inspired, so they they feel a little bit vintagey. Mm-hmm. So the fourth one, I wanted it to be much more like in the in the present. And at the time, I was writing, um, I was a journalist, and um, mix mx mm-hmm. uh, got into the Oxford English Dictionary, and you know, all this conversation around gender and. Non-binary identities um, came up, so I wanted to have a fragrance um, that was named after that, or Lincoln? title, or yeah, something. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted something to sort of reference it in the notes and also in the um, in the name, because I really love Charlie and this idea that this fragrance marked the feminist period. Right. And so I wanted to have a fragrance that marked the like gender fluid and non-binary period, a period that's like really questioning gender. And I just thought it was, you know, also in perfume, like it's so easy to gender bend in perfume. So right. it was the sort of perfect um, thing to do for that. So that was the fourth. That was in 2017. And then Mixed Triple X um, was sort of closer In um, the original idea I had for it, it's super animalic. It has, like, real ambergris. Um, Antoine had actually talked me out of having another animalic after the, you know, first three. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, okay, let's go back to it. We're coming back. (laughs) So it's the flanker with um, ambergris and hyracium and a really beautiful Trinidad cacao. And then um, the pandemic hit, and that's when I wanted a fresh, happy fragrance because it was, like, in the darkest year of the pandemic, 2020. Right. So I crowdfunded that one, and then it was the actual release was 2021. And that's, you know, referencing... One of my favorite categories of perfume, which is the green fragrances, which feels like a very 70s category. Mm. And um, I don't think a lot of green fragrances were out there Mm -hmm. around the time. So that was 2020, 2021, and then Scorpio Rising.
1: I am a Scorpio, and okay. I feel validated in <laughs> Scorpio Rising, so thank you. Because I feel like a lot of times people are like, let me make a Scorpio fragrance, and it's just like a hit you over the head, like suffocate you and like <laughs> dip you in the ocean and cinder blocks. Like I'm like, yeah. you know, it's just like it's so intense. And not that there aren't other intense fragrances in your line, but to specifically associate that with Scorpio, i was like, there's more to Scorpios than this. And I— I love the restraint of Scorpio mm-hmm. rising. I love how it has all that like leathery and smoky and peppery mm-hmm. feels of something that might be heavy, but it, it's so harmonious.
0: Yeah. And that's the artistry of Antoine, because even with Mabette, and mm-hmm. many people say this, you're not the only one, um, that he's able to sort of take very dense notes. Mm-hmm. And like when you look at the ingredient list and you're like, wait, how is all of that in this? Because it right. feels airy. It feels transparent. It doesn't feel oppressive right um and yeah that's I mean that's the case with Scorpio rising and I, I wanted I love spices and I wanted a very very intense peppery uh fragrance you know and and I love leather too um but to me I know a lot of Scorpios and I like Scorpio I don't know if I have Scorpio somewhere in my sign but what's, it's what's kind your of, sign I'm on the cusp of Leo and Virgo
1: Okay, lately, yeah. yeah. Is your birthday like August 22nd? Business in the
0: front, party in the back. Okay, I love it, I love it. (laughs) Um, But I think there's Scorpios somewhere there because I have so many Scorpios in my life and I really like them. And the thing I like about them is this idea of this kind of slow burn. Mm -hmm. Like the the stereotype is that, you know, they're like gonna pounce on you and there's good. And it's like, no, it's more like, they're like a little bit slinky and you can't always anticipate the sting or mm-hmm. you know, the the draw. There's something mysterious about it. So mm-hmm. I think you really capture that in the fragrance, this this sort of seduction, but it's not it's not overt. It's very right. subtle. And, yeah. But it's tenacious. Mm-hmm. Th- that
1: fragrance lasts and lasts yeah. and lasts, and I love how it develops. And I just, yeah. Well, also, just on a side note, as a Scorpio, I have a lot of Leos in my life, so oh, okay. I think this is a very nice, interesting. It's a nice mix we got going on here because I, like I it. tend to buy, I buy <laughs> with Leos very well. So, is there a fr- is there a fragrance in your collection that feels very Leo to you?
0: Delta of Venus feels very Leo. Delta
1: of Venus. Okay. Well, let's talk about it.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's another. Really, Leo fragrance that's interesting. I'm really into astrology, and now I'm gonna try to think of each fragrance like I as th- an if you want to do time. it right
1: now, right here. We got time.
0: I mean, I was thinking Belle du jour feels like a cancer, oh, okay, because it's romantic, it's um, you know, it has that kind of oceanic, watery yeah. thing going on, um, mysterious. Um, I mean, obviously, Scorpio rising. Is Scorpio. Um, my bet is probably a Taurus. Because I'm, I'm loving the, all of this. The yeah. earthiness, and I mean, Taurus is a bull, and my bet is my beast. Mm-hmm. Nightflower is probably that's such a romantic one.
1: You know, my first instinct, but now I'm questioning it. I was thinking maybe like Aries, but I think it's a little bit. I don't know if I would say that it's it soft. Yeah,
0: maybe mix is is Capricorn. Okay, Because now like It's like a luxurious cashmere sweater, right? And it does. It's not extreme in any way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like diplomatic and yeah, or Libra. Anyway, um, so Delta of Venus feels very Leo because. I don't know. It's like summertime. It's fun. It's, but it's sexy and it's in your face. Yeah. I would agree. And also
1: like, because Leo is in August and as you said, it's like totally the time of year. Yeah. And it's interesting because going back to the very beginning of the interview, what you were talking about, I said, it felt like a departure, but now that I've heard more about that through line of like, the overdose
0: yeah. through line,
1: now it sort of makes yeah. sense of, like, there is a theme of every fragrance. There's, a, like, one note in every mm-hmm. fragrance that's just, like, dialed up more than everything.
0: Yeah. And the, also the thing with guava is that there's a, you know, mm-hmm. in the way that there's an animalic side to certain um, perfumes that feel subliminal, mm-hmm. there's there's a funky side, as I'm sure you know, right. to guavas. Right, right there's this kind of there's sul- like a sulfuric, sulfuric bodily, slightly yeah. bodily thing yeah. going on, but you don't smell it right away. It has the mm-hmm. effect of, I think, when you smell it. So it, th- it that's there's stuff going on in the undercarriage of Delta of Venus that might okay. not be apparent right away. And, you know, mm-hmm. in the perfume brief, um, you know, I kind of yoked together all these stories, but I wanted it to be, you know, the, the vision I had was that Eve has reclaimed the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And um, rather than being cast out and ashamed or whatever, she's hanging out with her friend, the serpent, mm-hmm. and she's writing stories, you know. Um, she's writing poems about Eros and, you know, happiness and sadness, and she's a poet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where uh, Anais Nin and Delta of Venus, like, it, it, was, it was very you know, associative, how all of this came together. Mm -hmm. But um, I was trying to think of a tropical name and Tropic of Cancer came up and I was like, oh, that feels too dude-like. Like, Mm -hmm. Eris is very much, even though it's, you know, for everybody to wear, because Mm -hmm. Eris is a goddess, I wanted um, the author that's referenced in this perfume to be a woman writer. So Mm -hmm. that's where Anais comes in. Beautiful. I love it. (laughs) I love it. Um, I
1: guess I'm curious, Mm -hmm. as we, you know, we've talked a lot about this past century, we talked about Eris, is there anything, I know this is like very timely, but I was thinking about this this morning and I sent this to you, but with like the release of this Barbie movie and all this buzz around this, do you think that there's maybe some sort of like new wave of whether it's feminism or some sort of cultural shift that we're going to be going in in this decade that you would project a certain theme coming up in fragrance? It's a very loaded question, I'm aware. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, I will say this. I think um, we're in it now, but more and more, I think gender is going to fall out of perfume. Mm -hmm. I mean, the way people wear perfume and the way people have worn perfume generally has been that there's always going to be a guy who wears one woman's perfume because he likes it and vice versa. Mm-hmm. My um, high school fragrance was uh, gray flannel, which was right. okay. a men's yeah. cologne. But I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm being edgy. And, like, I just really loved the smell. And mm-hmm. I'm sure it was one of the fragrances I put on at the mall and was like, this seems like me.
1: And then you um, got quoted for it in your yearbook.
0: Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Um, but I think more and more, like, people are just wearing what they like. Mm -hmm. And um, I I think that's even going to get more intensified. I'm hoping that the idea of like a men's section and a women's section just goes away completely. Because I think it keeps certain people from actually wearing the fragrance that was meant for them because of these boundaries, so.
1: Yeah, I also think that there's been this weird new third category of unisex, which rather than just being just like absolutely anything, just becomes pigeonholed of, like, a citrus or, like, a vaguely vetiver woody scent. And it's, like, why does this have to be this, like, third? So neutral. Right. Why are, if you're, like, with mix, for example, it's not, like, this category of, sort of, like, non-gender conforming is just citrus. It's, like,
0: it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, you know, that, that I think, is the trend that's going to um, just, I mean, is it even a trend? It's just the way people are wearing perfume. And I'm hoping that the, the big perfume houses that are still marketing right. fragrances that way stop doing it just because it's, yeah. I think that's that's my prediction.
1: I, I, I am with it. I agree <laughs> with it. What are your plans for Delta Venus? What are your plans for Eris in the future?
0: Um, Well, for Delta Venus, it just launched like a couple weeks ago. So I'm going to go to a few places to launch it. I'm actually going to do a thing in Portland at Fumery Perfumery soon. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to do an event in New York at Scent Bar Mm -hmm. on Elizabeth. And um, what I like to do at those events is to bring some of the raw materials from the fragrances for people to smell. So I'll have the accord that Antoine created and, you know, some of the jasmine sambach, the galbanum, the violet leaf, like the components of the fragrance so that when people smell the whole thing, they can kind of see how he, you know, the magic that um, is the final um, perfume. So that's, you know, and I mean, eventually I would like to create, you know, like hand lotion and <laughs> Body oil, like bath oil and yeah. like kind of sexy scented uh, products, but um you know, just keep making fragrances. And I would like to have a store at some point, somewhere.
1: Okay, I'm manifesting this. It's gonna
0: happen. <laughs> but yeah, that's you know, it's it's hard to because it really is like primarily me and whatever money I can drum up to mm-hmm. do the next thing. Um, There's not a lot of planning in any of this. It's just more like whatever can happen
1: right it's like lightning in a bottle moments and yes. then it happens and yeah. we are all better for it because your <laughs> fragrances are absolutely wonderful Thank and you. has been one of my favorite dis- i'm late to the game but it's been one of my favorite discoveries oh thanks enjoying air fragrances and let
0: me know if you ever want to smell some of the vintage fragrances I'll i
1: would love oh my here. god i'm so happy that that this <laughs> conversation ended in the invitation because i was like how do i get into yeah, that should
0: actually have maybe like a Sniffing,
1: yeah, a vintage episode. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one in New York who has a lot of. I
1: know some other. There've been other people on this podcast who are also huge. We should just do a big vintage episode, and and I'll just uh, reap the reap all the benefits because I have nothing to contribute, but I'm happy to smell anything that anyone puts in front of me. Yeah. Okay, the final segment of the show is rapid fire scent association. Okay, it is a game called "What's That Smell," Mm -hmm. and I'll just throw out places. Concepts, whatever. You just tell me the first smell that comes to mind. Okay. There's no wrong answer. Okay. Are you ready to play what's that smell?
0: Yes. Mmm.
1: What's that smell? Barbara, what is the smell of New York City?
0: I love New York, but the smell of New York City is hot garbage. Hot (laughs) garbage,
1: yeah. Hot garbage. Fred, this is this is like the anti-New York tourism podcast because whenever I ask guests, they're like, Piss, farts, shit. (laughs) It's like never anything good. Okay. What is the smell of love?
0: Ooh, the smell of love is tuberose? I'm with it. I'm actually surprised by that answer, but I'm sticking to it. Okay.
1: What is the smell of your childhood home?
0: Ooh, the smell of my childhood home has a lot of fish sauce in it because fish. my grandmother was often cooking Vietnamese food so mm-hmm. i would say i was acculturated and got very used to very funky smells from an early age what is the
1: smell of your earliest ever scent memory
0: um probably also associated with food smells and i was born in saigon vietnam so uh-huh. i remember going to the markets and the riot of, mm-hmm. like, tropical fruit, mm-hmm. um, fish sauce, uh, hot garbage, you know. Like, I loved going to those, like, markets. Mm-hmm. And so you would smell everything. That's the first memory. It's kind of like a cacophony of good, bad, and um, wonderful, mm-hmm. I don't know, <laughs> everything together. I love
1: it. Okay, what is the smell of aris Parfum?
0: The smell of Eros Parfum is the smell of black silk and velvet.
1: Ooh, okay. That really
0: is the first thing that came to mind.
1: And I concur. So, (laughs) okay, the final question of the show. Okay. What is the smell of Barbara Herman?
0: The smell of Barbara Herman is um, ideally the smell of flowers, kitten fur, and sunshine.
1: Flowers, kitten, fur? Would we ever see a flowers, kitten, fern, and sunshine fragrance? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Something to look forward to. Barbara, it has been such a joy, such a pleasure chatting with you. For everybody listening. Thanks for having me. Thank you.
0: Where can they shop for Heiress fragrances? Where can they follow you? Um, they can shop for Heiress fragrances on heiressparfum.com. I have a stockist list there with all of my retailers. Um, I have retailers in Europe, in the UK, in the Middle East canada and um uh, i'm primarily on instagram social media wise i have not gotten to tiktok i think i m- might have aged out of tiktok but um They're never um, there's a place far <laughs> parfum is okay. on instagram excellent
1: yeah barbara thank you so much right. thank you thank it was you. fun this podcast was edited by joe leonardo music is by max vernon and illustrations are by israel rodriguez